We are going to be in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, this evening. I know that Leviticus seems kind of daunting. Several of you have said to me, I've been trying to read through Leviticus, or I read through Leviticus, and I know it's kind of a, a daunting uh, task to undertake to read through Leviticus because it's kind of monotonous. There's lots of weird stuff in there about blood and sacrifices and priests and rituals and things that we don't really understand. And so part of our feeling about the book is that it's not really relevant to us today. And I would say that not only is it relevant, I, I would say that the ideas put forth in Leviticus are some of the most important things that I think this generation of Christians needs to understand. And, and this is, I was just sitting there thinking, this is one reason why it is incredibly difficult to really preach the gospel to our generation today is because we don't understand the kind of God that we're dealing with, right? I mean, I think that most people in the world, in the United States, so when I say the world, I mean in the United States, I think that most people today kind of feel about God the way that you might feel about a genie in a bottle, right? Or like maybe, you know, this heavenly grandfather that just wants to give you what you ask for and that maybe expects you to be nice and good. Uh, maybe some people think that God hates them. Maybe on the other end of the extreme, they think that God hates them and that God is out to get them. Uh, but there's just so much confusion about who God is. Sometimes... I, either way, whether a person thinks that God is a heavenly Santa Claus um, or a heavenly grandfather, however you want to think of that, or on the other end, uh, somebody that's out to get them, that hates them, that that uh, is always trying to create loop or create uh, things to trap them. Um, either way, I don't think either extreme of people, whether that's in the church or in the community, understand why a sacrifice. Why a sacrifice? Why Jesus? Why blood? What, what is that all about? What does that mean? Um, I've even had Christian people ask me, yeah, there are other people sacrificed, there are not sacrificed, but rather other people crucified. Why is Jesus' crucifixion? Why does that matter to, to me? Um, and then a lot of times we feel like that salvation is simply a matter of being good enough, right? I, I don't know how many times I've been asked by Christian people, even even Christians that are on their deathbed, that I've sat with them and prayed with them and talked with them in their last few days, and they've asked me, do you think I've been good enough to go to heaven? Where do you even start? The answer is no, you haven't been good enough. None of us have been good enough. Amen. But that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that there's a God up there and that he expects you to have enough good works that outweigh your bad works. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you go to heaven. And if they don't, then you go to hell. That's not the gospel. And neither is the gospel that God just, you know, wants, you know, God has no expectations, no rules. And, you know, pretty much everybody can have whatever they want if they just ask him. I mean, all of these ideas about God are not the God of the Bible. That they're not the story that we're being invited into. And I think sometimes even when we talk about things like baptism, and that's why last month's series on baptism was so important for me to think through those things and hopefully to think through those things with you, is that I grew up thinking that baptism was just another thing that you were supposed to do. 
It was another act of obedience that kind of put put another pebble on the scale that direction, right? And if that pebble wasn't on the scale, it doesn't really matter what other pebbles were there, you weren't going to be good enough, right? But if you were baptized and you did all of these other things, maybe your scale would tip in your balance. That's, that's not what baptism is. Baptism is I'm being invited into the story of the Bible, right? So we have to learn to read Leviticus that way. That this is the God, this is the story that God has put forth, this is the account, this is the history of how this God has dealt with and interacted with and had a relationship with people, and this is the story that I'm being invited into. If I'm going to have a relationship with this God, then I have to have a relationship with Him on His terms. It has to be a relationship with this God. We're not talking about a relationship with a God, with a spiritual being. We're talking about a specific God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And who is that God? And when we talk about God, again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, but I know when we started this series, it was a few weeks ago, we talked about holiness. You remember what holy means? It means otherly, right? It's just different When you list off all the qualities of who God is, God is love, and God is jealous, and God is mighty, and God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful, and God is omnipresent, and God is all of these wonderful things, and then you exhaust the human language, and then you just say God is otherly, God is holy, He is different. He is unlike that which he has created. He is unlike man. He is unlike animal. He is unlike plant. He is unlike any of these things. You can compare him in some ways to some different things like fire or like a cloud or like this, that, or the other. But in the end, God is holy. And because of sin, especially, but also just simply because of our weakness, we are unclean, right? We talked a lot about that. That's one of the themes of Leviticus. And so we talked last time about how Leviticus is a story of how God is inviting an unclean group of people, the descendants of Abraham, the people that Moses is leading out of Egyptian slavery and to the promised land, that God is inviting this particular group of unclean people to become clean to become purified, to to be forgiven, but not for forgiveness' sake, for a relationship's sake. For the sake of a relationship with Him, God is inviting these unclean people to become holy and dwell in a relationship with Him. And there's the problem, isn't it? That if unclean people try to dwell in the presence of a holy God, they, what's the word? Die, right? They die. When you try to dwell in the presence of a holy God, you die. And that's why as you go through the story of the Bible, every time somebody comes into the presence of God, do they say, yippee, God is here, this is awesome. No, they fall down on the ground, terrified, afraid they're going to die. Why? Because when someone who is unclean comes into the presence of God, they're terrified because they're going to die. Somebody brought up last week after the lesson, Isaiah, when Isaiah comes into the presence of God, he, he's terrified, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And it wasn't until a coal was touched to his mouth that he felt confident. 
to come into the presence of God. And so that's the story that we're, we're being invited into is that we as people are unclean people and that God takes this one group of people and says, I want to make my dwelling among you. You're going to be my special group of people. I'm going to make you clean and make you holy. And, and one of the words that comes up a lot in relation to this is atonement. That is the act of making something in a state where it can be used to service to God, for service to God. It literally means to cover over. And so things would be covered over with blood, right? So things would be covered over with the blood of a sacrifice, and they're they're told that the life is in the blood, that the life of an animal covers over the impurities and the uncleanness that their sin has caused, the corruption, defilement, however you want to think about that. But if you imagine, if you imagine that here is a a thing and, and that because it's in the world and it's been touched by the world, it's been corrupted by the world, whatever it is. I mean, it could be this podium or, or the ground or this building or a, a piece of, of acreage. It could be anything, right? It could be a chair. It could be a utensil. It's in this world of corruption. And in order for it to come into and be a part of the service to this holy God, it has to be atoned for. It has to be covered over with life. It has to be covered over with lifeblood. And so sacrifices were made. Atonement was made. These objects and ultimately these people covered over by blood, atoned for, so that they could dwell in and have a relationship with this holy God. So here's the outline again that we're going to be going over the next few weeks. Um, but, but the first seven chapters, one through seven, rituals, and then eight through ten, priesthood, and then eleven through fifteen, purity, I'm sorry the source isn't on there, but that, that's from a, uh, the Bible project is where that came from, this outline. But ritual, priesthood, and then purity. And then right in the middle is a section on how the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, is the center of sacrifices. And how, especially chapter 16, what we'll look at tonight, is the Day of Atonement. And so that's kind of the center of the book. And everything else is kind of goes out from there symmetrically. Okay, so you have 16 and 17, the very core and center of the book, the Day of Atonement. And then on either side of that, you have, you have commandments about purity. And then on out from there, priesthood. And out from there, ritual. So you see how it kind of goes into the middle or emanates from the middle. It all kind of centers on that day of atonement. So that's what I want to look at tonight is the day of atonement. Look at Leviticus 16 and verse 2. Now, again, I want to keep tying this into us, okay? Because, again, I I know, I mean, I know. I I read through Leviticus too, and I know how tedious it can be. Um, But when you connect it with the gospel, and so we're going to spend a lot of times in a lot of time in Hebrews tonight, because Hebrews is kind of like, in parts at least, the Leviticus of the New Testament, right? It tells us how this applies to us. It tells us how Jesus is the culmination of this story. It tells us how Jesus is bringing us into this and how he's being our priest. And do you see how, we'll talk more about priesthood as we go, but do you see how there's a need for a priest? Do you see how when you have this holy God who is otherly, 
When you have this holy God, last week we put it like fire and like you and me, we're, we're paper people. And you have this fire God and these paper people that are trying to dwell in the presence of fire. How you need a go-between. You need someone who will somehow mediate between the paper people and the fire God, right? How, how are these paper people going to come into the presence of this holy God? And that's what the priests do. They, they work these rituals so that this unclean people can become clean, can become purified, can have their sins atoned for so that they can come into the presence of the holy God. I was trying to think, what would be a good analogy of that? And one of the only things I can think of is a translator, right? A translator is kind of a go-between. And so if I don't speak your language or you don't speak my language, we need somebody that, that can speak both languages, right? And that's sort of what the priests are doing. God appoints these not only Levites, but these descendants of Aaron to mediate, to come between, and to make atonement for the people, to bring them into the presence of this holy God so that they can have this union, so that they can have this relationship, right? When, when two people are so radically different, they need a go-between, right? They need somebody to try to say, how do these two pieces fit together? How does a holy God and an unclean people, how do these unclean people become holy so they can live in relationship with this holy God? Leviticus 16, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. So if you're familiar with the tabernacle, you had the tabernacle. I should have put it up on the screen, but but kind of a rectangle, the tabernacle, which later obviously became the temple. Uh, But then you had the holy place that was a place inside of the tabernacle. And then you had the most holy place, the place beyond the veil. Um, And and the Aaron was told, listen, you can't just come in here anytime you want. Um, before the mercy seat, and that's the cover that's on the Ark of the Covenant. So inside the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, is the Ark of the Covenant, this box covered with gold, and, and the, the cover on it was called the mercy seat uh, that's on the Ark, so that he may not die. Do you see? And... You know, when I used to read this, and I would read it, and I'd say, man, there's all this dying. And at some point, we'll read about some of the priests who died. But I read about this, that God saying, hey, don't come in my presence or else you'll die. It's like, man, that's that's mean, isn't it? Isn't that mean? Isn't it that God would say, you're going to die if you come in my presence? It's not mean. It's the very opposite of mean. It's merciful, isn't it? He's, he's warning them. Listen, I love you too much. I love you too much to let you come in here and die. And so before you come in here, and even before you even have a, try to have a relationship with me, let me tell you the basis on which you can have a relationship with me. Now, is that still incredibly relevant for us today? Yes, it's the same God. And we, we somehow think we get to call the shots and we get to lay down the terms of how we're going to have a relationship with this holy God. Who do we think we are? We don't know the story that we're trying to step into. And we live in a world that is, as they say, post-Christian, right? And, and so many people think they know Christianity. So many of us sometimes think we know Christianity and we don't, we don't even know the God we're talking about. 
This God says, I want desperately to have a relationship with you. But because of your weakness and because of your defilement, I can only have a relationship with you on these terms. And he says, if you come in at any other time, you'll die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And so God sets it up so that one day a year, I'm just going to kind of walk us through this. You can go through and read Leviticus 16. But one day a year, one man, the high priest, could come into the God's presence without dying. And, and here's how the day kind of went. First, the high priest would bathe his body. And then he'd put on a the holy linen undergarment, the linen co- uh, coat, the linen sash around his waist, a linen turban on his head. He would then slaughter a bull for his sins and the sins of his family because he personally had sins. His family personally had sins. And so he had to first make atonement for. He had to be covered over. His sins had to be covered for. And so he would slaughter a bull for his own sins and the sins of his family And then he would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood. And then they would cast lots over two goats. One is going to end up being the scapegoat. You've heard that before, right? The scapegoat. And one is going to be one that is sacrificed. So they would cast lots over the goats. And then they would slaughter the sacrificial goat and sprinkle the blood in the Holy of Holies. Look at Leviticus 16.16. It says, Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now again, sometimes when we talk about God and we talk about sin, sometimes we think that God is just mad and angry. And I don't want to say God never gets mad or angry because God's wrath is a part of who he is. It's a part of the story of the Bible. But this is not a story. Leviticus is not a story of God's wrath. It's a story of God's holiness. It's saying, because I'm holy and because I love you and because I want to protect you and because I want to have a relationship with you and because I want to dwell in my tent, in your presence, then something has to take care of your sin problem. Something has to cover over. Something has to make atonement for the sins here. Something has to purify you here so that I can dwell in your presence. So that rather you can dwell in my presence. So we can be together. It's a story about love, isn't it? And it's easy to miss that when you're just reading through it and you're reading and you're like blood and guts and entrails and bulls and goats and you're reading through it. That doesn't sound like love, but oh, it is. Because he says, because of your sins and your transgressions, you, 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 like all humanity, have been exiled, right? I mean, that's the beginning of the story in Genesis. You're exiled, you're defiled, you're out there, but I want to come and be with you. And in order for me to come and be with you, these are the terms. And, it, and who are we to say, okay, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't, want, I don't want a relationship with you on those terms. Wait a second. You don't get to call the shots. It's either, it's either banishment and exile and condemnation and death, or it's have a relationship with God on his terms. And here's the terms that he's laying down in ancient Israel. Verse, or number seven. Then they would go out into the courtyard and put blood from the bull and from the goat on the altar. So the bull that was sacrificed for the priest and his family and from the goat 
for all Israel, that blood was put onto the altar to make atonement. Lay hands on the scapegoat. They would lay their hands on the scapegoat, confessing the sins of Israel and send it into the wilderness. And it would, listen to this, bear the sins. It would bear the sins of the people. You already start to see, I'm sure, the parallels between what's being laid out here on the Day of Atonement and what Jesus has done for for his people, right? Um, So they would lay their hands on the scapegoat, confess their sins, and send it out. It would bear their sins out into the wilderness. Um, Then the high priest would bathe and change clothes and then offer the burnt offering. So then actually offer the sacrifices on the altar. And then burn up the skin, the flesh, and the dung of the bull and the goat outside the camp. Okay, so all of this process. But again, it's easy to read this and say, well, that doesn't have anything at all to do with us, right? Because we're not under the old covenant. Absolutely, we're not under the old covenant. And absolutely, it wouldn't have anything to do with you except that it absolutely does because Jesus is playing this part. Jesus is inviting us into this story, only it's gotten better, right? Because Jesus is the priest. And the Hebrew writer, so turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. The Hebrew writer says that that Jesus isn't a priest in the order of Levi. He's not a Levitical priest. He's a, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're not going to get into that, but but basically to say that Jesus is a priest forever. 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 To take care of your uncleanness, my uncleanness, so that you and I can have a relationship with God forever. His priesthood, his priestly office will never come to an end. Chapter 9 and verse 8, by the Holy Spirit, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So the Hebrew writer is kind of saying there's, there's like there's these, this physical tabernacle on earth. And it's really just an, a representation of the real holy place that's in heaven. And, and he says that, that the way into the holy places, the real holy places, is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age or for that present age. So he says, listen, as long as, as long as that was the way to approach God through that first tabernacle, through that first day of atonement and the sacrifices and all of that, well, then you couldn't really go into the real holy place and enter the true holy place and really have a real relationship with God. And he says, basically, he's telling these Jewish Christians, don't go back to that other system. I think he's probably writing to Christians that are living in Jerusalem, and year after year, the Day of Atonement rolls around, and they're sitting there saying, do I participate in this? Do I not? I mean, I feel kind of weird. I used to do this, and this used to be how we interacted with God. Do I go back to doing that? I mean, Jesus coming back, what's going on here? And, and the Hebrew writer is writing to them to say, stay the course, stay faithful. The relationship with God that you have is better than what they had. In fact, he says that that system, that whole day of atonement system was symbolic. The word there is parable. It was a parable to help you to understand what's really going on. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that, pay attention to this phrase, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. 
but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. And they cleanse you, and God set it up this way so that you could be in a relationship with him, but it's all just kind of external, isn't it? There's still this consciousness of sin. In fact, the whole system is a constant reminder of your sinfulness, right? Every year as this system came along, every year the Day of Atonement came along, every time you looked and you saw the temple, every time you saw priests every day entering into the temple, every time blood was spilt, every time it was a reminder that you're defiled and you're unclean and you're weak, and you're sinful, and something has to constantly be offered in order for you to have a relationship with God. And none of these things perfected the conscience. They weren't really solving anything, were they? It was just over and over and over again, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. They they were always a temporary arrangement. It was a good arrangement that God arranged, but it was supposed to be in place until a time of reformation. Verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Now, those holy places, right? The real holy places, not the physical, man-made, made-by-hands holy places, and not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ God's anointed one, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our, look at the word, conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, the Hebrew writer says all of this was set up so that you would understand what the Christ was doing on your behalf, what he would do on your behalf. Now, for us, what he has done on your behalf. He has entered into the holy place. He has gone before God, and he has offered his own blood as as an atonement to make eternal atonement for you, to make eternal redemption for you. So that, not just so that you're outside, your skin could be purified and you could kind of physically live in the presence of God, but so that your conscience, everything would be cleansed. No more reminder of sin. No more body after body after body after body after body of sacrifices stacking up. No more temple with blood all over the altar. No more holy place. None of that. No more. Why? Because the conscience has been cleaned. Verse 24 of uh, Hebrews 9. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to had have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once 
for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, and as you go on, I wish we had more time, we're out of time, but as you go on through the book of Hebrews, he says, this is it. This is the one sacrifice forever. And with this one sacrifice, you're purified forever so that now you can enter into the presence of God with confidence, with assurance. Why? Because you have been purified forever. You are no longer unclean. Now you truly are holy ones. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's the story that we stepped into when we were baptized. We were putting our faith in Jesus the Messiah, saying, I believe that he has become my one and only priest who has mediated for me and who has taken his own blood into the holy place of heaven and is making and has made eternal redemption and atonement for me forever, to purify me forever, so that not just my flesh is cleansed, but so that my conscience is cleansed. And in the context of Hebrews, he's saying, but don't, don't walk away from this because this is it. If you go on sinning, if you continue in sin, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. See, that's, not, that's something we don't talk about enough, is it? We talk about God wants to have a relationship with us, but it's also true that without this sacrifice, without this purification that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, then there is no way to have a relationship with God. There's only fearful expectation of judgment. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to live. He wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants you to be purified. He wants your conscience to be clear. He wants you to be a holy one. We are living in an eternal day of atonement. Our sins are gone forever if we hold on in faith to Jesus. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, you are so very good to us. And Father, we love you so very much, and we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. We thank you for the blood that's been shed. We thank you that we can, with assurance and confidence, approach your throne of grace. Lord, you are so good. Help us, Father, to in faith hold on to Jesus as our only atoning sacrifice. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.